Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Filipovitz! Damn it! Nailed it. Nailed it. it. Good it, catch. It, it took me a set, but it's like uh, I did a check swing there, so I was able to... I was able to get it eventually. Uh, yeah, you, you got it, you got it back in time. I did, so uh, that that counts as a ball. Hopefully, hopefully we hit a home run by the end of this podcast. Uh, hey. To help us in that endeavor, uh, we hey, just, singles pay the bills. What was that? Singles pay the bills. Singles do uh, pay the bills, and y'all probably don't recognize that voice, but we decided to go out and get a special guest for this edition of the podcast. One of our friends for, in the Penn State media. Uh, student media e- media ecosystem from Com Radio and my old stomping grounds of Onward State, Mitch Stewart. Mitch, what's going on? Oh, we're just really happy to be here, my man. B- big RLR fan, of course. The other bad boys of blogging, so just happy to be. Here. <laughs> yeah, and to con- I'm talking baseball. You are also a fan of the World Series champion Washington Nationals, correct? I am not. My roommate is. I'm a Mets fan because I hate myself. <sighs> God, change subject. Uh, we're not here to talk about uh, baseball, even if I'd love to talk about uh, the soon-to-be World Series champion New York Yankees. Instead, we're going. A lot has happened in the Penn State sport universe uh, since our last edition of the podcast. Nittany Lions were able to win the Cotton Bowl end the season 11 and 2. So we're going to talk just a very quick little bit about that. A quick recap of the season. Some player losses. Uh, to the NFL draft retains the N- to not go to the NFL draft, and then a few other things we're going to talk on, and of course, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time at the end of the podcast talking about our soon-to-be national champion Penn State men's basketball team. But we will get to that a little bit later. Let's start uh, with the Cotton Bowl. Nittany Lions were able to come out on top over Memphis, fifty-three to thirty-nine, despite some uh, clock management at the end of the first half that I think caused some people to ha- just completely lose their minds. Sean Clifford was able to get the job done through the air in a game without a uh, his normal offensive coordinator. Eleven for twenty, hundred thirty-three yards, touchdown, and interception. The big story of the afternoon. Well, two big stories of the afternoon. Journey Brown, sixteen carries, two hundred two yards, two touchdowns, broke Saquon Barkley's bowl game rushing yardage record, and then Micah Parsons. Uh, to whatever extent a defensive player can do this. Thought it would be really fun to enter next season's Heisman discussion. He had a huge game, 14 tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss. Matt, uh, we're going to start with you. I don't want to do like a big overview recap of the bowl because it's been you know two some odd weeks since then. What I want to do instead is talk about the big things from this bowl game. One or two, whatever they might be, that you think Penn State's going to be able to take into next season, a season where... Uh, it's going to be expected that they're playing in the New Year Six, but in a game with a little bit more prestige than the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, I'll do one for offense and one for defense. I think my biggest takeaway from offense was that Penn State found their man at running back. It's Journey Brown. Journey Brown played what might have been the best game I've seen a running back play since Saquon Barkley's 2017 game at Iowa. He He was fantastic in every sense of the word. Um, I like the running back by committee, but I do think for, for a team to be really successful, there has to be a clear lead dog, and Penn State never had that. And I think now it's clear that it's Journey Brown. And defensively, I think Micah Parsons introduced himself. Like He, he was already a, a really well-known name, but this is the game where you're, you're going to start seeing a lot more national hype come through to Micah Parsons because he was, he was that dominant. So he's learned linebacker very quickly, and he looks really good. 
So I, I think the, the biggest storyline from the defense going forward is going to be building it around Micah Parsons and how, how fantastic him and the whole linebacking core is going to be next year. Yeah, they have that guy in the middle of the defense that everything becomes a little bit easier when you have a guy of his caliber who uh, could just go out, make plays, and take a little bit of pressure off of everybody else by attracting the attention of basically all Evan do is on offense. Mitch, uh, same question to you. Any big things... Uh, that they can take into next season from the bowl game. Yeah, I'll mirror Matt here and just kind of go both sides of the ball. And defensively, what really stood out for me is Penn State has just a plethora of options in the secondary. And, of course, that was kind of the biggest weakness all year. They were getting beaten up through the air. Minnesota, of course, really sticks out. Justin Fields, he had his field day. But going into next year, and I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later on with Castro Fields returning – there's a lot of different players that Brent Pry can kind of shuffle in and out of that back four. You know, we saw Marquise Wilson, who I think is the most aggressive and maybe the has the best ball skills in that group. Keaton Ellis all year was making plays and using his athleticism, whether he was inside in the slot or outside. We saw Porter Jr. We've seen Trent Gordon. And you'll get Donovan Johnson back as well. So I think that considering that's the biggest weakness, they definitely made a lot of improvements in that area over that last three weeks to a month that they had to prepare. Even though Brady White still had a pretty impressive day, he didn't have a passing touchdown. Looking at the offense, I, I think my biggest takeaway is, you know, Bowen, Tyler Bowen did such a great job of calling this game. And now you're bringing in Shiraka and it, it almost feels a bit, you know, you, you feel a bit guilty not even giving Bowen the chance to call plays later on. You put up 53 points, a cotton bowl record and just, lit the skies on fire with really out without an offense that was able to pass the ball down the field. And so I think that, you know, going into next year and you bring back so many pieces on both sides of the ball, there's a lot to be excited about, even if you lose a couple of pieces here or there, like a KJ Hamler. Yeah, it certainly seems like uh, if Kirk Shiraka does the, uh, does the Joe Moorhead thing, he's here for a few years before he ends up finding an ex- uh, heading to a head coaching job. It seems like they have a guy right in the wings and Tyler Bowen who's going to be able to step right in. And I believe they mentioned on the broadcast that one thing that excited the offensive players was that, you know, no shade to Ricky Ronnie, but Bowen is a more aggressive play caller uh, than Ronnie could be, which I think we saw that in my, what my big takeaway was, and that was that, at a certain point, Penn State realized that Memphis's defense was very, very, very fast, but they weren't particularly big and strong. And at a certain point, Penn State's offensive line just decided it was done, and it started winning every battle that it had up front in the rushing game. We saw how that paid off with Penn State's rushing attack. I mentioned Journey Brown, obviously. Noah Kane, 15 carries, 92 yards, two touchdowns. He had a very nice little game. Ricky Slade didn't run it a ton, uh, carried it five times, but went for 58 yards, including a nice 44-yard chunk play. Uh, that seems like that could end up being the signature thing that we see out of Ricky Slade. And then Sean Clifford, I mean, he got sacked a decent amount, but he, I thought he looked pretty comfortable running the football, which was nice to see after... Uh, you know, his regular season ended with injury. And a lot of that was possible because of what Penn State's offensive line was trying to do. Uh, This is something I'm going to pay a lot of attention to with Shiraka next year. 
I think that Penn State is going to be able to win games by basically mauling teams up front and running the football with their collection of running backs. And I think this game gave us a glimpse into what it could look like in games when Penn State's offense is really feeling it on the ground. I mean, defense side of the ball, it's Micah. It has to be Micah. It is exceedingly difficult for someone to be an All-American and then arrive. Like, it's kind of takes going to this very weird place in your brain where you convince yourself that's the case. But Micah was an All-American this year, and I felt like he didn't get... And I think a good amount of this was because he's just playing in the exact same division as Chase Young, and Chase Young took all the defensive player uh, hype this year. He didn't get the attention that I thought he really deserved. He really, really announced himself in, in this one. And I think that going into next year... Like I mentioned, everything's just going to be a little bit easier on the defense because they have Micah there. Uh, I, I don't, again, I really don't want to spend too terribly much time talking about the bowl. We're going to get to some season superlative uh, things in a second here. But I, I'll just kind of open it to you guys. Were there other major things or takeaways just from the bowl game that you think are worth mentioning? Good, bad, ugly, whatever it might be. I think that the depth that Penn State has defensively really bodes well going forward. I kind of touched on the secondary already for a moment, but you know, Cam Brown's going to be gone. Jan Johnson moving along. The linebacking court is arguably going to be even better next year. We'll get to see more of Brandon Smith, who, unlike Micah Parsons, he didn't have to get just thrust right into the rotation. He kind of got to ease his way in and and you know, learn the position. And they talked about him learning to Sam as well and kind of getting stretched out wide a little bit. So I think that that group is going to be really good. And I think even with Yitor Grosmatos moving along, we got to see a lot of Adissa Isaac, Jason Owe. I mean, this defense in the first quarter, they were kind of reeling a little bit and they had to go to their, their third defensive line. And they were really giving a lot of different players reps and they stepped up to the challenge, and I think it, it felt like watching that game that every player made one or two plays that were notable or, or that really stuck out. So I think that that defense is really going to be something to watch next year, and that's with all the offensive talent that they have coming back. Yeah, that was something that I noticed when I was looking through the box wing. Trent Gordon is in there. Ellis Brooks is in there. Uh, Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, guys of that. You know, the guys that you hope – Hope they didn't have to do too terribly much this year, but it seemed like, uh, for the most part, they were able to get enough run that if Penn State has to rely on them heavily next year, you're feeling pretty comfortable. And Matt, are there any final things you want to say here before we dive into what we're talking about next? Uh, first of all, Ellis Brookshive. Ellis Brookshive. Let's go. I think, I think he's so underrated. I think he doesn't get a lot of love just because Micah's playing to his left all the time. Um, Jason O is going to be a star. I think we can really see uh, Yitor Grossmatos love like ascent to where he just becomes one of the best pass rushers in the Big Ten next year. And Jordan Stout, I, I still cannot believe Virginia Tech let him go because he is amazing and took Memphis's return game completely out of it. And he was fantastic. Yeah, he's a... Uh, do we think he's going to take over for Blake next year? He's listed second on the depth chart, so I would imagine. And then, of course, you see him trying to explode Jerry World's big... <laughs> Gumbotron, and I just, I love the swagger about him. He stepped right into the flow bros and everything, and it seemed like it was a really good fit from the start, even though he was a, a bit of a transplant, you know, coming from another Power 5 school 
it, it never felt like that. It felt like he bought in really quickly. If they run a fake with him and they score on it, I would melt. Oh yeah. Like if they if they yeah. let him just like air it out in a fake and it works, uh, I don't even know. I would I would throw my laptop. I don't know why, but this just for some reason you saying that reminded me that Lamont Wade tweeted the other day that he's setting his high school offensive highlights to Coach Shiraka. So. Uh, hopefully they decide to get real weird with the next year. But before we uh, get into next year, which that's going to be one thing that we mentioned here, I want to do a quick season recap uh, in which we're going to talk about basically four things in order. The most surprising thing from this year, the most disappointing thing from this year, the most encouraging thing from this year, and the biggest thing that they need to figure out if they want to be a national title contender or a college football playoff and national title contender next year. Uh, Mitch, we'll start with you. This... I, this is I mean, surprising is a word that I think it could be good, it could be bad, either way. But for you, what was the most surprising thing that we saw out of Penn State this year? Well, Matt kind of touched on it a minute ago. I think that anyone 18 months ago, if you said, yeah, Journey Brown's going to end up being the guy, the feature back in this backfield, people kind of would have laughed you off, even after the Iowa game and how strong Noah Kane looked. And, of course, he battled some injury but, you know, Penn State's got two more scholarship running backs coming in. And all four of these players, they've said that they're committed to staying next year, which is surprising. I would have thought Ricky Slade for sure would have maybe been open to exploring the transfer portal. And even Devin Ford, who looked good in his limited touches this year, you would maybe expect him to want to go somewhere where he could be a 15 to 20 touch a game type of player. But I think that Journey Brown's ascension – in this backfield, it has to be the most surprising thing for sure, considering that he's by far the lowest ranked recruit out of that entire group. Yeah, I, I that he it's very hard to say anything uh, other than Journey Brown. There's one other thing that I could think of, uh, but Matt, I want to go to you. The most surprising thing uh, that we saw out of Penn State football this year. Uh, I'm going to go the negative route, and I was really surprised at how inconsistent the pass rush pass rush was. I can never say that right, and I don't know why. Um, they, they still got over 40 sacks, which I think a lot of us expected, but a lot of them really came against like Purdue and Memphis and Idaho. Um, and I really thought this was going to be the kind of year where having Etor and having Robert Windsor back, especially with the way he was playing early in the year, would just command so much attention that other guys like um, a Jason Owe or Shaka Tony or, you know, PJ Mustafer would be able to eat a lot more. So just how inconsistent Penn State was at getting to the quarterback. It feels like they came close at least seven times a game. But I mean, close doesn't matter when, when it comes to something like that. So I was really, really surprised how much they struggled to kind of control the line of scrimmage in that sense. Yeah, yes, I'm very much going to mention that uh, in, in a moment. I'm also going to go in a little more negative of a direction, uh, which is funny because th- this team went 11-2 and 7-2 and, and was, uh, y- you know, very, very, very close to playing in the Rose Bowl this year. Uh, I'm, I was very surprised that they weren't able to find anyone really to be that second wide receiver option next to KJ Hamler or even be kind of that number one receiver option and take some attention off of KJ and free him up to do some more fun things. I might, I think by this point it's uh, it, it almost feels like an afterthought that Justin Shorter was on this football team. Uh, obviously some strange circumstances under which he left the program. Uh, he's still looking for a new home by all accounts. It seems like it's, I mean, he's not going to be returning 
to Penn State, but you know, who knows what ends up happening there. I thought for sure he had what it took to put it all together and have a really special year this year. Uh, and that just ended up not happening. It didn't happen with him. It didn't happen uh, with Jahan Dotson or Daniel George or any of those other guys. Uh, having KJ Hamler and Pat Fryermuth were really good, and then Nick Bowers ended up doing some nice things a little bit later in the year. But that, that's something that, as we get into next year, where you know Kirk Sherrock has been the offensive coordinator in an offense that had Corey Davis, who is literally one of the most productive wide receivers in college football history. And then the past two years, Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman at uh, Minnesota, some of the most productive wide receivers that we had in college football this year. I think that that's something that's going to change. But I was just really surprised that at the total lack of an answer, uh, not even like a lack of a consistent answer, like just when Jahan Dotson was your number two receiver and he had 27 catches for 488 yards, that's just a little bit weird. And I was very surprised Penn State couldn't find an answer in that somewhere. Uh, For the most disappointing thing, I I mean, I'm basically going to say what Matt said. Uh, I thought that Penn State's pass rush wasn't quite able, for whatever reason, to perform to the level that I think we all expected. Uh, not even necessarily just in sacks, in uh, getting to the QB, hurrying him, uh, those sorts of things. And I think that led to some of the issues that Penn State's secondary had and Penn State's scoring defense uh, had in games like allowing 31 points to Minnesota, 27 to Indiana, 28 to Ohio State. Uh, although 28 to Ohio State, it's really good. Those sorts of things. So I, I think that we saw a pass rush that had plenty of talent. When it, things were clicking, they were on their game. Uh, it's just they weren't quite able to consistently put it all together, just kind of similar to the wide receivers. Uh, Matt, I'm going to go to you. For you, what was the most disappointing thing that we saw out of this Penn State team? Yeah, we'll do kind of like a tradesies thing here because my most disappointing thing was the uh, the lack of a second wide receiver stepping up. I really thought this was going to be the kind of year that Justin Shorter just becomes a superstar because he never really got an opportunity. Even in high school, he ran an op, he ran like a like a wing T in high school. He never had the chance to really show off his ball skills. So he 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 was really underwhelming. Jahan Dotson, like you said, those numbers are not what you want to see out of a number two receiver. And then nobody else really got enough run or enough opportunities thrown their way to have a chance to establish themselves as a second receiver. So I just, just really disappointed with the way that turned out. Um, obviously good for KJ and Pat because they both became superstars in their own right. But I think going forward, they're going to need at least one or two more guys to become really, really consistent options. Cause I think next year they can have four guys catch over 40 passes. And I, I think they should with the way Sriracha, 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 I pulled him that. <laughs> Sriracha runs his offense. Yeah, well, we will absolutely Sorry, mention Matt. that. Uh, we'll bring that up in a little bit. But Mitch, is there anything, anything different that you want to say? Or, or did one of our answers uh, kind of take some of the wind out of your sails there? Um, part of my answer got a little bit taken away there. And that's it's just more about the returning leadership on this defense. I really didn't feel like they stepped up to the challenge this year when it mattered most. And part of that answer was going to be Yitor, of course. I think you saw the difference between two first-round prospects and him and Chase Young, where Chase Young was getting double and triple teamed, and it really didn't matter. He kind of just was a wrecking ball in the trenches. Where Gross Matos, he found a way to maybe kind of disappear in some of those games or not become as much of an impact. And it was... 
it, it wasn't just up front. It was all the way back to the secondary. You have John Reed, who it feels like he's been around, you know, for 15 years. And Castro Fields even coming back with all of the hype that he had this year. And I think there's a reason he's returning, and that's because his draft stock has dropped a day or day and a half from where it was at the beginning of the season. So I think when you looked at the beginning of the year at the stars on that defense and who you thought was really going to be able to stand out and affect games, they really just didn't make enough plays. And the Minnesota game really is what sticks out the most for me. Um, but Penn State, they've shown the way that they can be beaten the last couple years defensively, and that's the short lateral passing game. And I don't know if it's a Brent Price system issue or if it's just that's what their weakness is, is open field tackling. But that that was really the thing for me this year is it just feels like over my time in school over this three or four year period, it feels like when they lose, it's always the same way. And it's never those leaders that have come up in those moments where you'd expect them to be, you know, leading the charge and flipping these guys' mentalities a little bit, getting them ready. They, they lose the same way every time. So that experience, I feel like, hasn't really translated into any sort of change on the field. Yeah, Matt did a, did a very interesting thing a little bit earlier this year about how there seems to be a correlation between quarterbacks having the game of their lives uh, against this Penn State defense, which is something that goes back a few years. So, Yeah, I wrote, after the Minnesota game, I wrote that yeah. – um, Quarterbacks cannot stop having career days against Penn State. And it, it, it traces back all the way back to Sam Darnold at the, in the Rose Bowl. So two-plus seasons of quarterbacks having, and in, in some cases, like Brian Lewerke having multiple career days against Penn State. Uh, he had Felton. It was Felton Davis, not Brian Lewerke. Let's, let's minimize those accomplishments. Uh, also, real quick, go ahead. you mentioned John Reed being old. This is crazy. He, his first, uh, I mean, I guess action at Beaver Stadium came when Christian Hackenberg was Penn State's starting quarterback, Hell yeah. which is just insane. Uh, I'm trying to think. Would anyone else on this team have have played alongside? I guess would Steven Gonzalez? Steven Gonzalez would have been on that team, but I don't know if he would have. They would have been there, but they would have been redshirted because Reed's redshirt came later. Right, so he was exactly. on the field in 2015. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it would just been him. He, you could have told me he played alongside of Matt McGloin, and I would have believed him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that that's fair. Uh, let's let, let's kind of take this uh, damper off of things. And uh, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. The most encouraging thing uh, that you saw out of Penn State this season, I would have to say, it, it's Sean Clifford. I really wasn't expecting much. I think a lot of it was because of how the guy walking out was Trace McSorley, and he he was just fantastic. And Clifford, all his stats aren't going to you know shock anybody or you really impress anybody but he was really smart with the football and for a first time starter I think that's the hardest thing to get down is how to control the football and, and how to make sure the offense hangs on to it so I think everything else you can work out going forward but I think it was a really really impressive debut season from Sean Clifford a guy who really hadn't seen all that much action at all uh, prior to this season so really really impressed with him I think he has a lot of growing to do but, again, I think the hardest thing a quarterback can do is, is learn how to take care of the football, and it seems like he has that down. Yeah, I, I'm, I will mention uh, Cliff momentarily, uh, but, Mitch, do you, for you, what was the most encouraging thing that you saw this season? I think that was a really good point that he made, that you know Clifford, even with maybe his shortcomings and not being aggressive enough or able to push the ball down the field quite as you know, often as we've become accustomed to watching when the Moorhead offenses and whatnot, he did protect the football a lot. I think the most encouraging thing for me is 
how great the offensive line was. There's a reason why Sean Clifford was able to protect the ball and that these young running backs were able to get up to speed and get acclimated to life in the Big Ten. And I think it's because the offensive line play was consistent all year. You were seeing the same guys. They were even able to rotate at right guard a little bit between C.J. Thorpe and Miranda. And now next year, you know, you only lose Gonzalez. You bring back everything. And I think that's going to be really important to have kind of the same core group of guys all protecting Sean Clifford and the Lawn Boys and whatnot. And that's going to help a lot as Penn State tries to find that number two or number three receiver to pair along outside with Jahan Dotson. And of course, it's been overstated that Sharaka does not use tight ends, but you can't imagine Pat Fryer not having some sort of impact as a receiver next year. So I think that the way that they can protect Sean Clifford is going to be really, really key next year. I mean, this team won 11 games, so I think that's just really encouraging when you consider how young that that offense was. Yeah, I mean, that, that's basically where I am. I mean, the most encouraging thing for me is how much talent is coming back next year and how much of that talent uh, was expected to make some sort of an impact and more or less did this season. I mean, Sean Clifford's coming back. The entire stable of running backs is coming back. They're losing one dude along the offensive line, and they have other talented guys who can get involved there. Pat Frymuth's coming back. All the receivers, uh, same for Justin Shorter, big loss, and KJ Hamler, another big loss are coming back. And then on defense, there are going to be some holes there. Robert Windsor has to be replaced. Uh, there's talented defensive tackle, Yitra Gross Montes, but there's talented defensive end. Jan Johnson's going to be replaced by someone who I think is a bit more natural of an athlete, even if they might not have his football IQ. And Garrett Taylor and John Reed, again, big losses, but there's talent there. And they managed, they did a pretty good job at getting other guys run in those positions. Like, you're losing John Reed. Okay, Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis both got plenty of time. You're losing linebacker. Brandon Smith played in every game. Uh, they have Ellis Brooks there. They have Jesse Lukita to all fight for that spot. They're going to be options for Penn State football next year. And it's not going to be like this past year where you're replacing so many guys at important positions and have so many question marks at quarterback, at running back, at receiver, uh, at defensive tackle, at linebacker outside of Micah in the second, like all these things, you basically need to find replacements for Yitor Grossmandos, which will be tough but not impossible, maybe Shaka Tony, and then like Blake Gillikin, John Reed, like guys who you should be able to replace. So we're saying all of that about a team that want, went 11-2 and two and – played Ohio State as well as anyone outside of Clemson has played Ohio State this year. So I think that's all very encouraging, but there's still room for this team to grow. Uh, and I'm going to go first on the biggest thing they need to figure out if they want to be a college football playoff contender. And that is that I think they need to figure out how to have an offense that fits Sean Clifford better. And what I mean by that, uh, we don't have the most recent passing chart that had the bowl game added to it. Uh, Nick just hasn't gotten around to doing that. But we do have the passing chart up to the Ohio State game. And I looked at the numbers here, and we know that Penn State really values big plays. And I don't know if Sean Clifford is a quarterback who is necessarily a big play in the passing game guy. I think he's more of a guy that you get the ball to his receipt. He gets the ball to his receivers, and they make stuff happen. My evidence for that is that on passes behind the line of scrimmage, again, this is up through the Ohio State game, 51 passes completed 74.5% of them. 
Zero to nine yards, 89 for 122, 72.9%. 10 to 19 yards, 37 for 65, 56.9%. 20 plus yards, 13 for 49, 26.5%. Sean Clifford is not necessarily a guy who's going to beat you with the deep ball, but he is really, really good on short stuff and pretty solid on intermediate stuff. And considering we all saw how Minnesota was able to move the ball on Penn State by basically killing them with intermediate stuff and then occasionally taking shots deep, I think they need to sort that out. And if they can sort that out and get build an offense around what Sean Clifford does well, he's a re- decently mobile guy. He needs to get into grooves, but when he does, he's really good. And he's really good on short and intermediate stuff. I think this offense has a chance to take a step forward, even though they have to replace K.J. Hamler. Uh, Mitch, we'll go to you next. If Penn State wants to be a college football playoff contender next year, what do they need to figure out? I like that point that you make about Sean Clifford, because he kind of reminds me of a Dak Prescott-style quarterback, where if you can get the run game going, if you can get the play action going, he can make enough plays with his legs where you know, he, he can be a winning quarterback if you have the right system. And I think Chirac is smart enough where he's going to figure something out. I think my biggest my biggest takeaway as far as if they want to make that leap, I don't want to sound exactly like Franklin, but from great to elite, I, I think it has to be the game management. And we saw it, of course, the end of the first half in that Memphis game. And the, the thing that used to make this team – really special when the turnaround first happened 2016 going into 17 was they were that second half team they could go in and make adjustments and they can just pull momentum out of a hat just out of nowhere and it feels like over the last couple years they haven't been able to adjust as well and maybe that was due to youth or you know due to injury you know you can make plenty of excuses for it but I think that's the biggest difference because obviously you look at the recruiting classes the last couple of years. James Franklin can get guys in that are, are capable of playing their positions, and he develops talent very well for the next level. But I think that that's been kind of the struggle is when they get in those tight games with the best teams, can they coach with the best of them? Can they adjust with the best of them? That's what I'm looking for next year because they're going to have all the pieces that they'll need to you know make a run and be – one of those big-name players when it comes down to late November, early December. Uh, Matt, where do you stand on this one? I think the number one thing they have to fix if they want a chance to uh, to represent the Big Ten, or even as that large bid, in the in the playoff, is they have to fix the pass defense. I, I Ever since I went through and I, and I crunched the numbers and I really found out that it is a pattern for, for a long time, I think the narrative was like, oh, Penn State would have been would have beaten X team if – ex-quarterback didn't have the game of his life. You can insert any quarterback that is in any of Penn State's losses over the past couple of years. So they have so much talent returning uh, at both levels of the secondary. I mean, you're bringing back Tariq Castro-Fields, who I think we can all agree was not right this entire season. He was hurt. Something was bothering him. You have Donovan Johnson coming back, who we haven't really seen him play. What do you think we've seen him play? Six games? Is that about right? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. But he looks really good in those games. And then you have Marquise Wilson. Then you have Keaton Ellis, who, who are two guys I think are going to be both fantastic. And somehow Joey Porter still redshirted this year. It seems like he played in like every game, and I don't know why. Uh, and then you also have Trenton Gordon, who I'm a big fan of. And then at, at safety, it sounds like Lamont Wade's coming back. Jaquan Brisker w- played really, really well for a JUCO transfer. And then you also have Jonathan Sutherland um, coming back. There's no reason the secondary shouldn't take a big step forward. And that's the one thing holding this defense back. 
I think from being a top five unit in the nation, I think the linebackers are going to be so I think this is the best linebacking core in the country. Hands down with that. Uh, Lance Dixon sh- would play on 95 percent of teams in college football. And Penn State was going to uh, was going to let him off the hook and then kind of figured, well, there's not enough snaps for him to get him in anywhere. So I, I, I think the secondary is the thing that could hold this team back. But if they take even a little step forward. It's going to go a long way into into making sure Penn State is able to be in contention for one of those final four spots, which you would assume they will. With just with how much young, I, I mean, not even necessarily young in terms of years for a guy like Keaton Ellis or Marquise Wilson, like Lamont Wade. He was really good at big plays at safety, but still has to hammer out some of the finer points. I mean, Jaquan Brisker in his second year, figuring out the speed of the game and getting settled. Those were like. There's optimism. Next year's going to be really good. Uh, we're going... I, go ahead. I think it's going to come down to scheme because uh, this has been going on for three years now, and no matter who the personality personnel is, it hasn't changed. So I think something schematically has to change for, for that to go away, for them to stop just getting torn apart. I'm not saying like revamp the defense, but I think some changes have to be made because it hasn't changed no matter who's been out there. No matter if you had a really upperclassman laden secondary, if you had a younger one like we kind of had this year, I think something with the way they're calling that defense has to change to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. Interesting. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Going off that just really quickly, you know, you don't want to sound like the, the, the couch quarterback, the couch coach, but it feels like teams have figured out that Brent Pry is – really reliant on the zone, especially when they get against those pass-happy teams. And if you can't get the pass rush, and we've we've stated this multiple times already, but if you can't get to the quarterback, a, a good, decent college quarterback, whether it's Tanner Morgan or whether it's Justin Fields, is going to be able to pick that apart. So I think that you hit it right on the head where something, even if it's just percentage-wise, just slightly different, you have to change it up a little bit. You have to be able to give teams different looks where they can't just look at it on Monday before the game and say, oh, yeah, if, if this happens, we're going to have a great day. Moving on, I we're talking about Penn State's pass defense. I mean, one thing that kind of ties into that is they're going to be getting three Castro Fields back. Uh, he was in the latest round of guys to announce their moves, uh, whether or not they're going to be staying or going. He says he's going to stay. K.J. Hamler announced that he is going to leave. Uh, I think we can all be real quick on Castro Fields and spend a little bit more time on Hamler. I, I think getting him back is good. I, getting another body in the secondary is good. Uh, something just didn't seem right with him for long portions later in the season, so hopefully whatever that is is something that gets uh, figured out. And the thing that I'm most excited about is that he's going to be put into a position where he has to not only – I think he will be a starter, but he's going to have to prove that he – can keep a starting job with how much talent is going to be behind him pushing him, and I think that's going to make him better for it. And if we're able to see the best version of three Castro Fields, I think that's going to be something invaluable for this defense. Uh, Mitch, is there anything, a- any other takes that you have about three Castro Fields? Because like I, I, I don't think there's too terribly much we can say about it, but I'm, I want to kind of throw it out to you guys now. Yeah, in. He obviously came in as, you know, I think he was a day two pick at the beginning of the season, and everyone can see his upside. He has the NFL size. He has all of the skills. I do think he was a little bit banged up, but he's going to have everything to prove this season. And I think that 
in a day and age where players are maybe more likely to jump ship a little bit earlier on to go to the NFL, I think the fact that he is willing to come back and try to improve the draft stock and, you know, try maybe one more time to make that final push into the playoff, I think that mentally he's going to have a big offseason and getting ready. And I think he has the chance to really be a leader for that young group of players that we just talked about where they have so much talent as well. But all those guys, you know, we're going to get at least two seasons out of most of them after this watching this team. So I think that that ability to develop in that role is not only the older guy in the locker room, but also with a lot to prove. I think that he's going to have a really stellar year this year. Uh, Matt, anything uh, anything to add on him? Uh, no, you kind of touched on all the important stuff. But uh, but TCF is responsible for one of my favorite moments this season when he picked off Shea Patterson on the screen pass and then Shaka, Ton- Shaka Tony did finger guns right in Shea Patterson's face. And then they got called for a penalty. But hey, do that again because that was hysterical. Uh, yes, we endorse finger guns here at uh at Well, I don't speak for the site, but I do speak for the podcast. So we're uh, if you're, you're going to do it right in an opposing quarterback's face, that's the most disrespectful thing I can imagine. Right. I, that that was a little. If memory serves, after Jaquan Brisker got a pick against Michigan State, he pretended to like pull out a sniper rifle. That probably wasn't cool. Yeah, uh, no, that one wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. But if, what... if you want to do exaggerated finger guns, we're all for that. Were you saying something, Mitch? Or? Oh no! I said that's we draw the line on sniper rifles. Correct. Yes. Uh, then the big loss that Penn State's going to have uh, KJ Hamler heading to the NFL. Uh, interesting guy to evaluate from a draft perspective, but most importantly, like he just rocked. He was someone he made watching football a little bit more fun. Just a huge personality, such an entertaining way of playing the game. Uh, Matt, when you heard, K- were you surprised by KJ Hamler announcing that he was going to be leaving? And uh, what are your thoughts on his time at Penn State and what you think he's going to accomplish in the NFL? I was really sad. I was really sad. I wasn't surprised, but I was really sad when I found that he was going to go. He's a guy who just, he, he's so small and he, he's, a, he's a hell of a football player and incredibly tough. But too many of those hits on a, on a guy like that are, are going to take a toll. So go get paid while you can. Um, KJ was the perfect guy to have after Saquon because you needed that new electrifying playmaker. But if it was going to be a running back, he was always going to be prepared, um, compared to Saquon. So him being, you know, the receiver, the returner, even Saquon was a good returner, but I digress. He was, he was exactly what Penn state needed at a really crucial time to try to find their identity post Saquon. Um, I'm going to look back on the, on the, on the two years we had him not redshirting very fondly. He was so much fun. He's going to be a star in the NFL. Even if he's not, the camera's going to love him. It's just going to follow him around. And he, he's going to be one of the guys who I think it, it gets into broadcasting one day and is just infectious. So really happy for KJ. You know, go make your money. It, it stinks for Penn State, especially with him coming back, what this offense could be. But from, from a long-term brand perspective, getting KJ Hamler in front of more eyes is really important. Uh, Mitch, kind of the same question for you. Were you surprised by his decision? What went through your head? And what do you what are you going to remember about KJ Hamler and his time at Penn State? I think the most surprising thing about it is how he really just kind of snuck up draft boards over the second half of the season. I mean, he's anywhere from the late first round into the second round right now. It definitely looks like he's not going to get past day two, which I think watching him through the season, everyone knows he's capable of that game breaking one play that could just switch the momentum. But he, it feels like some of the little things he could kind of get better on. I feel like he dropped some passes that 
are somewhat easy, but Matt, you really kind of hit on it. He's he's a little guy, and he is capable of stepping in right now and being more than just the gadget guy, more than just a return man. I kind of see him as you know anywhere from Tavon Austin and his floor on up, you know, and that that definitely would not be a bad comparison at all. Tavon Austin's cut out a pretty solid career for himself in the NFL, even if he wasn't maybe as explosive as he was as a Mountaineer. I definitely think that his departure, though, is the most impactful departure for Penn State. It's more impactful than a Yitor Grosmatos. It's more impactful than really anyone I could think of last year that left early, you know, dating back towards Saquon. And as far as favorite moment, this one didn't even count. It has to be the breaking the tape against Michigan this year in the wideout. That was one of the fastest kick returns. I was in the press box for that, and it felt like everyone else in the field wasn't even moving. It was that quick. And it, I think when you when you see someone with talent like that, it's definitely a no-brainer when they get the opportunity, when people around the country start looking and seeing you know, just how special his athletic ability is. You know, you have to tip your cap. He's making the right decision for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that we've talked about a bit, but at his size, he's perpetually one hit away from his football career coming to an end. So go go get paid. Uh, go be what everyone wanted Tavon Austin to be in the league. Uh, I, I mean, I've loved that comparison for him since he was in high school. So that's uh, – so I, I'm very glad I'm not the only person who's going to say that. I – he, he he just had so much fun playing football. Like the people who do Penn State social media, I think realized this and decided to just perpetually put a camera in his face. And it, it, he was delight with that whenever they uh, whenever they threw him on there. And I, I mean, you remember those big plays by him? The one, the touchdown against Maryland. He had one play against Iowa where he was basically walled off, and he was still able to just get by some dudes. His Touchdown against Ohio State where, you know, I, I believe it was Spencer Hall who tweeted something like he ran so fast that like his neck was snapping back or something like that. I, his touchdown against Michigan, like all this stuff. He was just a blast. Uh, losing him is going to be a huge deal. Uh, but I, I think that it is good for the program and obviously great for him that he's going to move on to hopefully bigger and better things. Uh who do y'all want him going to? Do you do we have any preferences on where KJ Hamler ends up at the next level? I'll go. I want him on the Cardinals. Ooh, ooh! I think I think, I think that'd be fun as hell. Him That's, and Kyler Murray. I think that'd be fun that as hell. Speed. I think I think he could really be a a game changer for Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers kind of has. A, a bunch of random receivers that he's been going to and a washed up Jimmy Graham outside of Devontae Adams who missed more than a month with turf toe this year. So I think you put him in the slot with Rodgers kind of able to get outside the pocket, maybe find those little windows. If KJ Hammer gets the ball five yards up the field, I mean, we saw it, like you said, so many times, whether it was Maryland or Ohio State, you know, one little quick slant can be an 80-yard touchdown anytime you get him the ball. So I think that in a system like the Packers, where they're already such a good team, he could be a piece that could maybe take them up uh, up a level from a really good NFC team to a legit Super Bowl contender. Put him on the Ravens. Put him on the Ravens. That team. Oh, heck yes. Yeah. I, I mean, we just need the Ravens just have one getting him and Trace back together would be like incredibly good. But come on, him and Lamar, just awesome. There was also who. Like, I made, there was some joke that I made where, like, 
Joe Moorhead helped advise the Ravens on hiring, on like how to get an offense put together. Uh, yeah, he should. Joe Moorhead like should go that. to the Ravens. Joe Moorhead, yeah, that, that's the point. That Joe Moorhead should go would be to the, the most kick-ass team in the NFL. They would if, if Joe if Jomo went there. Yeah, I, I, we're gonna stop this conversation because I know that's uh, not who Mitch likes in that. Uh, Mitch, you are a fan of the DMV's other football team, correct? No, I'm not. Oh, you're, I do not for the R words. Absolutely not. You're Cowboys then. I am. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's it's a bit odd. I know. I'm, I'm all over Cowboys, the board, fandom wise. My dad grew up a Cowboys fan. Plus, like, how could you cheer for a Dan Snyder owned team? Correct. Like, how could you hope to do that? But yeah, he would actually kick ass on either of your the Cowboys or the Eagles. He'd be like a blast on either of those. So. Put him on the Dolphins. If you've, seen, if you've seen those videos that have popped up on Twitter today of Christian Wilkins interacting with Mike Gesicki. I'm not scared of you. Oh, no. Yeah, his, like, trash talk. Yeah, that would be real good. Did you see the one of him and Mike Gesicki? I did not, but I will. Oh, please you gotta DM that it. to me, and I will go ahead and watch it. Uh, uh, well, I want him on I want him on the Dolphins because I think him and Christian Wilkins would be really funny together. Yes, yes. Uh, that, that, that would – and it would have uh, given us what should have happened uh, had Christian Wilkins come to Penn State as a recruit. So I think we're over there. Uh, Coaching hires, I, I, do y'all have any like major thoughts on the hiring of Phil Troutwine as offensive line coach? Or oh, well, I mean Matt wasn't on, and Mitch is our guest, so I suppose yeah. I mean, do you guys want to give some thoughts on you think the hire of Kurt Shiraka and what he can bring to this offense, and some of the f- stuff that you expect to see out of him? Uh, you, you know, that could really help this offense go to that next level and just kind of open the floor up to you guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll run with this. I, I think a really important thing for me in any offensive coordinator or any play caller in general is the ability to do more with less. And I think we really saw that's what that's what Kirk Kurt Sharaka nailed it, was able to do uh, both in his time at Western Michigan and at Minnesota. And the fact that he is able to spread the ball out so well to keep multiple receivers happy and keep his running like a a trio of really solid running backs and all get them enough carries for them to really make an impact on the game. And I think Sean Clifford's better than Tanner Morgan. I just I truly believe he has a higher ceiling. So I think he can really help elevate this Penn State offense. Again, like I said last time I was on the pod, I think Ricky Ronnie could have gotten there. But I think going out there and getting a guy who's proven he can get the job done in the Big Ten shows Penn State's commitment to having a really big 2020 season. Uh, Mitch, your thoughts on the hire? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot will be said about Shiraka, and, you know, it's pretty obvious that I think that he's going to be an upgrade and, as you said, already proven within the same conference and the same style of play. I'm actually more excited about Troutwayne coming in as the O-line coach. I mean, they, Boston College was fifth in the country, in rushing offense. They allowed just 11 sacks, which was top five in the country. They were 13th in the country in tackles for loss allowed. And we've already spoken about everything that Penn State brings back in the trenches on the offensive line. So he's really going to have an embarrassment of riches to work with. So, you know, Shiraka, he has to figure out how to get Pat Fryermuth involved, of course, with with how his resume looks with tight ends. I don't even think Fryermuth is going to look like a tight end in this new system. I think he's going to have to be a wide receiver with kind of the lack of options that are available to Penn State right now. But I think with Troutwayne, if anything, you know, that unit's just going to continue to improve. And I think it it begins and ends there up in the trenches, especially when you're going up against the Ohio States of the world, the Michigans of the world, that are always so difficult 
up front. So I, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do on the staff. Yeah, that, that all seems fair. I mean, I, I'm glad I, just watching a little bit of re- reading up on Troutwine and reading up on uh, how, it, you know, just kind of his overall general demeanor. He seems like a perfect fit. Also, in the uh, in the press release, they cited our pal ESPN's Bill Connolly. So, uh, shout out to Penn State's athletic de- uh, communications department for that one. Uh, I don't think there's any. I, I think we've uh, done enough of the undercard that it's time to get to the main event, which is the twelve and two Penn State Nittany Lion basketball team, which is ranked twentieth, twentieth, too low basketball. It's they too are, low. 20th in college basketball, 21st. They are ranked above where they are in Ken Palm. Uh, this past weekend, they won an absolutely thrilling game against Iowa at the Palestra, 89-86. to 86. Uh, I'm not really going to put constraints on what we're going to talk about here. I kind of just want to roll the ball out. Mitch, you're our guest, so I will let you, uh, let you pick it up first. Uh, say whatever the hell you want to say about this team because, like, I, I cannot get enough of watching what this Penn State basketball team is. There's a couple things, you know, first semester of the season before we really get into the thick of Big Ten play that have stuck out to me. And the first thing is more – really the first two things are more of a numbers issue. Myron Jones, I don't know if you guys know this, has played more minutes than – this year than Lamar Stevens and has done so several times. I mean, he's averaging more minutes per game, but it seems like that's, it's not just by default. Pat Chambers wants him on the floor. I think a lot of people just because we didn't see a lot from him other than that Virginia Tech game last year and Roger Bolton left. We didn't really know what to expect with him as, you know, the primary guard ball handler. And he's just really taken it in stride and taken a leap. And the other numbers thing that I think has just been crazy when you look at their bench, of course, their depth has been, you, you know, it, it's been the biggest improvement. It's the biggest difference in this team. John Hara has more offensive rebounds this year than defensive rebounds. So when you have a team that struggles to shoot from the perimeter like Penn State does, and Miles Dredd, their best perimeter shooter, really has not gotten it going yet throughout the first half of the season, he's creating extra possessions in his few minutes on the floor. And of, of course, and I know you guys are going to get to this, this is by far the the biggest reason why Penn State has been such a different team this year, and that's because Mike Watkins has been playing completely out of his mind. And Pat Chambers, he said it over and over again throughout this year, take it day by day, day by day. He's kind of sounding like Franklin with his little, you know, his his quotes that he'll just stick to over and over again. But it, it really feels like Watkins has taken it to heart as well, and they've really unleashed him on the defensive end. He's been smart and not getting into foul trouble. And... You know, his biggest competition that he played all season was Luca Garza. And yeah, Garza, he had all the numbers and he had a, a pretty good day this past weekend. But Mike Watkins, when he's on, is as imposing as any big man, I think, in the Big Ten when you consider what he can do, not only on the offensive end, sealing that game with the alley but on the defensive end as well. So I think if they can ease into Big Ten play here in January, they got a, a tough, a couple of tough games, excuse me. Throughout the middle of the month, they'll get Ohio State coming into town. They get Michigan. So they'll have some challenges. But I think if they can get through those first five or six games here once school gets back up and the the students get back into town, this season could become even more special. Because at this point, really, if they go 500 the rest of the way, they're going to make it to the big dance. Yeah, that's 
kind of crazy to think about, but if they basically, yeah, that, that this, the, there are reasons to believe this is going to be a tournament team. And Matt, kind of throwing it over to you, just talking about uh, what you think this Penn State basketball team uh, is this year. Yeah, they have a bench. They have a, they have legitimately, a bench. They have a legitimately good bench. And it's not just like one guy. They have like some dudes on the bench. Isaiah Brockington, St. Bonaventure, shout out to you for, for being the Virginia Tech of basketball. Isaiah Brockington's our Jordan Stout, man. He's fantastic. He can do it all. He's he's great defensively. He's a fantastic finisher. Uh, he's a lefty, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mark him up as the replacement Josh Reeves. Uh, he's great. Curtis Jones, another really great ad in, in the grad transfer market. He's been, especially la- uh, last game against Iowa, he was great. He's shooting well. He gives Penn State another really good guard, especially with the way we've seen Miles Dredd kind of struggle to shoot the three ball this year. He's been great. Um, John Hara looks like he's like 80 pounds thinner than when he first got here, and he looks really good. Um, they're they're really fun, which is so rare for a Penn State basketball team. And I think winning in the palestra in front of all those alumni in the Philly area is going to be huge for getting this program the attention it deserves because for years we've been we've been saying oh Penn State basketball it's it's the little brother it doesn't get any respect now they finally can go out there and earn it and, and they're earning it so winning that game is is going to I think energize the alumni some students who I know went there I think are going to be more interested in going to some games so it's a fun Penn State basketball season and and fun and Penn State basketball aren't really two things that mix very often so it's been fun. Good for Pat. Uh, good for Lamar and good for Mike and, and all those guys around the program. Yeah. I mean, for really me, quickly, go ahead. Sorry. Just touch it on the bench real quick. One guy we didn't get to Seth Lundy. I, we talk about that, that group from Roman Catholic that has just kind of cu- come in and taken over this program. I think his ceiling could be the highest of any of these guys that have come through. And it's the first chance of any of these incoming freshmen from Roman Catholic to not have to come in and be thrust into the starting lineup. I think he's going to really be able to ease in and develop. And I think we, we've seen it already, some flashes from him. But I think he can end up, you know, by the time he's done, he might be a 20-point-per-game scorer for this team. He He's someone who you see just kind of the flashes with him. I, I mean, in the game uh, at the Palestra, seven points in 11 minutes, like he has just this fearlessness – with scoring, I, he obviously hasn't put it all, all together. He's you know, he's fourteen games into his collegiate career, but there's like you see the potential with him. I mean, the the triple that he hit against uh, uh, against Iowa, where he just grabbed an offensive rebound, looked to the corner, dribbled out there, and then pulled up. Like that's something that you don't expect out of a freshman. You don't you expect. Uh, someone to not be that confident, but he seemed perfectly confident winning that game. The big thing for me with this team is how we've seen Penn State basketball teams in the past. When they get punched or when they get into foul trouble, those are kind of the two teams that we things that lead to things just spiraling out of control. But you look through their schedule. There was that game against Yale where that's a game Yale is currently uh, in Ken Palm. Are are they 63? Yeah, Yale is currently 63 in Ken Palm. Uh, They lost by three to North – I mean, North Carolina is down this year, but they lost by three to North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which is always a tough place to play. They've They've beaten Clemson. They've beaten a good Vermont team. 
that's a good squad. They gave Penn State their best punch, and Penn State was able to come back and win that basketball game. Uh, Penn State took a punch from Maryland. They were able to win that game. They were in some serious, serious trouble against Alabama. They were able to come back and win that game. And Wait, were they down against Alabama for some reason? I'm like blanking on that one. Uh, yeah. I think they were. I think they were at some point. Yeah, they had to have a little bit of a comeback in that one. Yes, okay. Yeah, Alabama, they, they went ahead. Yes, they were up by a lot, and then Alabama came back, and they had to... Okay, yes, I, I'm, I'm not remembering that incorrectly. Uh, and then you look at the Iowa game, where that's a game we have seen Penn State lose a million times. They went... You know, they just kind of were trading buckets with them. Uh, the thought crossed my head of what happens to a past to say the 2014 Penn State team of Tim Frazier and DJ Newville get into foul trouble or uh, the 2000 and, you know, 2017 Penn State team if Shep Gardner and, you know, one of the more important contributors from that team get into foul trouble. We've seen Penn State teams just get completely derailed off of those sorts of things. But this team has a grit and a resiliency to them that they are able to mesh with having talented basketball players. And when you're able to put that stuff together, you're able to do some really impressive and, you know, recent history for this program, kind of unprecedented things. Like Penn State is a top 20 basketball program that, like Matt mentioned, is one catastrophic loss against Ole Miss away from probably being a top 10, top 15 basketball team right now. I'm a little bit concerned about the shooting. Um, Penn State is 227th nationally, hitting on 31.7% of their threes. Uh, you, you obviously want to see them a bit better there. I think that'll be better as the year goes on. Um, and Miles Dread, I think he's going to. I think when Miles Dread finds his shot a little bit, he, you know, he's going to hit a really big hot streak, and he's finding ways to impact games without uh, having to hit threes, but. What we've seen out of this team, this is as good of a Penn State basketball team. I, 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 up to this point in the season, this is the best Penn State basketball team that we've seen through you know, the first two months of the year. I, I struggle to see a reason, and if either of you can point this out, I struggle to see a reason outside of this is Penn State basketball, and they always do this. Why I shouldn't expect this Penn State team... Yeah, they're going to lose some games, but why I shouldn't expect this Penn State team to make the NCAA tournament come the end of the year. I, do you guys see anything, any major things that give you pause that make you think, you know, this team as it exists doesn't have what it takes to make it to the NCAA tournament and have a single-digit number next to their name? Or are any reservations coming straight from... This is Penn State basketball. Uh, we don't know how to deal with good things. Oh, God, everything's going to go bad. Well, that would have been the belief, you know, in the past. But you you kind of already touched on it. Those games, your Yales, your Marylands, your, your Alabamas, those are games they would have lost in past seasons. And they've found ways. Lamar Stevens has been in foul trouble a lot throughout the first half of the season, their best player. They find They just find ways to win. I think it's... That defensive identity that's always been strong in the Pat Chambers era, even when the teams weren't as talented, they've always, you know, taken care of business on that side of the ball. So I think that when they get 
into those stretches where, okay, Miles Dredd is not making those corner threes, or, okay, Lamar Stevens is going to the bench. Where are we going to get our offense? They just figure it out. I think they're as tough mentally as they've been, you know, since I can remember. And I think that Lamar is probably the best leader in the locker room that I can remember. Just the way he goes up. I mean, he sat there during that Maryland game and basically laughed off the fact that, yeah, you know, it sucked last year when we lost three, four, ten games in a row and just laughed at it. I mean, it, that's all in the past for this team, and they're really using it to drive them and learn from it. And, you know, uh, there really isn't a glaring issue that we haven't already touched on and all those little things they've been able to overcome against strong competition. I mean, they did not play a weak schedule this season. It, I mean, Yale would have been their worst loss, and that still would have been three or four or five times better than a Ryder or an Albany coming into town and shocking you. <laughs> like, you know, it it could have been worse if they if they lose a couple of those games. But I think the fact that they've gotten through that first half of the year and they haven't had that, I mean, it, it's just completely different. I, I think I remember a stat last year where before they kind of turned it around that last six weeks or five weeks of the year and, and won some games, I think the first 15 games of the year where they were within five points in the last four minutes, they only won four of those games. They went four and 11. So they were getting into crunch time against good teams, average teams, bad teams, whatever, but they could not find a way to finish. And now this year, that's all they've been able to do against, you know, pretty, pretty decent competition and or ranked competition. So, you know, I'm excited to see what happens here in the second half of the season. But I think that that has to be the key going forward is that they keep hitting each of those little four minute stretches between media timeouts the same way you can't get in over your head you can't look down when when you're losing on the scoreboard and they've done a really good job of kind of keeping focus so far to this point yeah matt i kind of the same thing for you other than the fact that this is penn state basketball is there anything that really uh leads you to believe that what they're doing is not sustainable I think a barring an injury to Mike Watkins, I think I think the front court depth is a little thin. I mean, John Harris is great, uh, but he's no Mike Watkins, and I think Trent Buttrick's fine, but he's not the kind of guy you necessarily want playing more than like eight minutes a game. Um, so yeah, basically, unless Mike Watkins get hurt, gets hurt, I see no reason why you shouldn't fly to Vegas and bet ten thousand dollars on Penn State win the <laughs> national title. Well, well, so, listen, I mean, uh, if you're I live close-ish to a casino, and there is sports uh, wagering at casinos in upstate New York, and I know in Pennsylvania, if uh, someone someone were to uh, place a large bet, you could certainly do that. We uh, don't do for, that for, do for, not, for, le- not, for legal do purposes. Not place any money on Penn State right, basketball for legal purposes? I have to say, don't do that. Um, but practically, right, who am I to tell you what to do with your money? Uh, the only reason I have like any amount of concern is I think that a lot of their defense revolves around the ability to turn opposing teams over. Uh, otherwise, you can maybe hit shots against them. Uh, but I was also just a really good basketball team, so I'm not going to talk too terribly much up to that. Uh, Penn State is allowing 34 opponents to shoot 34.7% on threes, 240th nationally. That's not particularly great. Uh, but otherwise, like, this is a really – it's a good basketball team. It's a solid basketball team, and they play to their strengths. Uh, y- you know, they have guys who are really good at attacking on offense. They have a big man who can catch lobs from a Jamari Wheeler, from a Miles Dredd, who's a very impressive passer. Uh, 
those sorts of dudes. And then on defense, they have the flexibility uh, to try and create havoc out on the perimeter because they know Mike is back there. And, you know, Lamar is uh, pretty decent at protecting the rim too, but they have guys who are able to clean up messes if those happen on the perimeter, and it, they just seem like hell to have to play against. So here's the hoping that Penn State basketball, uh, as you're hearing this, they're 20th in the country, 21st in Ken Palm, and CB, uh, no, Fox projected them as a four seed. Uh, here's to hoping that this team hasn't quite reached a ceiling yet because it's been an absolute blast following them. Uh, kind of last thing, just because you know this is the last college football thing that we're going to be game we're going to be able to talk about national championships this weekend. Uh, not this weekend, it's in a week, uh, next Monday in New Orleans, uh, thanks to the Minnesota Vikings, that is the last playoff game that is going to happen in New Orleans this year. Uh, looking at what Vegas wow. says, uh, I'm sorry, LSU five and a <laughs> half point favorite, uh, total of 69 and a half. Nice. Uh, I think that LSU being a five and a half point favorite is probably a little bit crazy, uh, I'm not convinced they are a better football team top, you, you know, in all three phases of the game than Clemson. But, uh, Matt, what do you think? Can I be honest? I think LSU is going to blow the doors off of them. Wow. Okay. I think I think this uh, getting Clemson is a way better draw than getting Ohio State because I think I, Ohio State has two guys who are going to be top 10 picks at corner right now in, in Sean or Sean Wade, who is coming back and, um, Jeffrey Okuda, who is going pro. Uh, I think Joe Burrow is going to be able to just pick this secondary apart. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why I feel so confidently. I think a lot of it is just the amount of disdain I have for the ACC. And I think I think it's just a really, really bad conference. And I think Clemson has built a dynasty on beating up on bad teams. Um, so I think I think LSU can win by two t- over two touchdowns. That, oof. Good. That's uh, I'll take expose me. Whatever. This is the guy who also talked about Northwestern a lot throughout the course of the football season. So, <laughs> love to Pat Fitzgerald. No, no one loves to Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, Mitch, Mitch, what do you think is going to happen in this one? Uh, well, as the noted ACC stand on this pod, you know, grew grew up a Virginia Tech Hokey. I, I do think Clemson is going to be in this game at least for the first two and a half, three quarters. You know, yes, they've beaten up on some inferior competition compared to the, the Big Ten or the SEC. With this team, the way that Dabo Sweeney has built it, it is kind of turning into, you know, an Alabama North where they just kind of – it doesn't really matter who they have. I mean, that defense is way younger than it's been in some of their past runs. It doesn't feel like other than, you know, Lawrence and Etienne that they really have maybe those certain game breakers that we think of when we think of those last couple of Clemson teams. And you look at all the guys that they've put into the NFL – but you can't look at that LSU semifinal and not expect them to win. I mean, Joe Burrow at halftime was on pace for what, like a thousand yards and 15 touchdowns in one game. That wouldn't even be like a bad season for a triple option team or something. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it, that's what Northwestern's quarterbacks had this season. Yeah, probably, probably way more than actually. I think they only threw for what, like six touchdowns or something this year. So Pat Fitzgerald was very jealous of what Joe Burrow was able to do. But I think it, it. there will be some scoring in this game. 69.5 seems really high, I mean, for both teams. That, that's Imagine that LSU gets into the 40s, and that would be a really fun game. I feel like the stakes are too high. The scoring is going to be a little bit lower, but I do see LSU winning and kind of pulling away in the fourth quarter, maybe by a touchdown, maybe by 
10 or 11 or so. But I just think there's too much firepower on that offense for, for Clemson to come in and, and just kind of shut that down. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I, I said on the pod before uh, for the semifinal games that I thought whoever won Ohio State and Clemson was going to win the national title. So I am going to – like the, the manner in which Clemson beat Ohio State, both in that they needed that last-minute drive – that last minute drive on offense, they needed to come up with a big play on defense and they were able to get that. And they were able to respond after going down 16 nothing or whatever it was uh, and adjust and really put the clamps on Ohio State is something that I found really impressive. Uh, obviously not as impressive as what uh, LSU did to a fraudulent Oklahoma team, but still very impressive what they were able to uh what they were able to do out there. I, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I think it stems from the fact that like, we've just seen Clemson. We know what happens when Clemson gets punched in the mouth in a, in a game of this magnitude, they're able to come back and they're able to find a way to win that football game. And I'm just very interested in what happens if Clemson is able to land a few haymakers on LSU, I, I think they're. I think LSU is fantastic. I think they are absolutely deserving of the number one seed and being the number one team in the country. Joe Burrow is a monster, and he's gonna do some incredible things in a lovely Cincinnati, Ohio. But I, I think Clemson just knows what it's like to be here, and I think that they're going to ride that and they're going to win that to a, ride that to a win. But having said that, if Ed Orgeron wants to win a national title, that'd be cool. Having said that, though. Does anyone remember the, what video of Ed Orgeron hit the Twitterverse uh, like a week ago? Is it the one where he talks about how his favorite uh, place to eat when he was at Ole Miss was a gas station? He would get chicken on a stick. It was not that, but that's good. It should, it should be that. Buffalo Bills, Super Bowl champs. That's right. Go Bills, <laughs> go Tigers. What happened we- to the Buffalo Bills? I might be biased since you invited me on the pod, but I love Bills. <laughs> Oh, that's a good note to end this podcast on. Uh, real quick, make sure that you go follow Mitch on Twitter at Mitchie Stew. Uh, he is a uh, very impressive young man who uh, spent spent some time this year around the football and the basketball program. So we're very glad that Mitch, you were able to come on and join us for this edition of the pod. Thank you so much for having me, man. Hope I didn't mess up too much where you guys don't invite me back. Oh, we're not inviting you back. Don't bank on that. Oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, thank you, everyone, as always, for listening to Roar Lions Radio. You know what goes in here. Make sure you are following us on all of our social media channels. You're reading and supporting the site. and You're subscribing to the podcast, and you're buying some shirts. All that stuff, you all know that by now. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.